The NBA playoffs are heating up and so is the action at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. DraftKings brings you same game parlays, live betting, odds boosts, and so much more. You can download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code VOXMMA. That's code VOXMMA for new customers to get 150 in bonus bets when you bet just five bucks. Only on DraftKings. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Or in West Virginia, visit 1-800-GAMBLER.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY-467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas, 21 and over, age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.co slash bball for eligible and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. When children love learning, they can tackle any challenge life throws at them. Sylvan's insight assessment can help you determine if your child is ready for what's ahead. It can also identify gaps in learning and point out areas that could be of concern for your child so they can tackle what's to come. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. You're listening to the Vox Media Podcast Network. Fighting Studios, this is Between the Links. And now, your host, Mike Heck. The iconic voice of Esther Lynn welcomes you to a brand new edition of BTL. Yes, I am Mike Heck, your host, your moderator, and with the wonderful E. Casey Lydon getting some well-deserved time off. I'm also the producer of the show this week as well. So please bear with me. But the good news is we have so much to talk about coming out of UFC 294. Now UFC 295, which comes up in a little over two weeks time. Looks a little bit different at the top, but John Jones suffering an injury. His fight with Stipe Miocic for the heavyweight title being scratched. And yes, once again, we got boxing versus MMA as Tyson Fury Faces Francis Ngannou this Saturday in Saudi Arabia. We'll talk about all of that and more, but let's get into it. First, let us introduce one half of our main event. He's Mr. No Gray Area, Mr. Hot Take, the co-host of No Bets Bar, the man behind Dan, they were good, and the media member who has viewers of the show contemplating each week if enemies become friends or friends become enemies. He's from MMAfighting.com. And he is living the good life, as you can see right now in the background. He is Jed Bashu. Hello, Jed. Unmute yourself and then welcome yourself to the program. Hey, Mike. I am living the good life. I'm in sunny Florida. It's just lovely. So I thought, well, I mean, I don't know. It's it's like 65 right now. Thought I'd work from outside today. And why not do this show? Got a pool right there. I might jump in, take a dip in the middle of it after I'm done wailing on this dude you're about to introduce. Wow. Well, I mean, if you win, you absolutely have to jump in the pool. And his opponent, uh, it's been too long, my friends. Had to have him back on the show. He's from CBS Sports. And the multi-time award-winning 
morning combat alongside Luke Thomas, the man, the myth, the legend, the gas station food advocate himself, Brian Campbell. Good to see you again, BC. Oh, How's well, life? Mike, I'm still with Showtime Sports until they turn the lights off. Thank you. And also, it's apropos that Jed would be checking in from the Redneck Riviera right here. I'm ready for this matchup. Believe it. Yes, I think we're all ready for this place. matchup. Great place. Great place. Who doesn't love the panhandle? I mean, that's not where I am, but still. See, this is why Casey's better than this. All right, stop the damn music. Oh, we're live. We're, Guys, we're live. Oh, iconic. You do, have to, right. you do have to admit that. Very iconic. Very. See, the stupid program, like, even though I shut off, loop the music, it still pops back on. So that'll be the last time that happens today. So let's just get right into this. Let's start with the UFC 294 main event this past Saturday. Islam Makachev, BC. He exercises the demons, which is weird to say after beating Alexander Volkanovsky back in February. But the rematch happens. It happens on short notice, but he closes the show. Got closure for himself and his rivalry with Alexander Volkanovsky. Big head kick knockout. Just beat the hell out of Alexander Volkanovsky. It was a nasty KO. First round, retains his lightweight title. So BC, biggest takeaway from Islam Makachev's performance and this big moment he had against Alexander Volkanovsky in Abu Dhabi. Yeah, I think it's a pretty simple and easy takeaway. He's the best pound-for-pound fighter in the world, and now there is no longer a debate. And I know you get a lot of people going, hey, BC, didn't the UFC put John Jones as pound-for-pound number one? How is the GOAT not number one? Because it's a countdown of right now, in this moment, activity, quality of opposition, and performance. And now in three consecutive fights, which included, obviously, his breakthrough title win over Charles Oliveira, we now have Isla Mahachev basically kicking his critics in the face. If you said he never beat anybody elite on his journey to the title, well, look, he's got victories over Oliveira, Volkanovski, and Volkanovski, two by resounding stoppage. And I think even more importantly in the larger fig picture, even above the pound for pound debate, which by the way, even on my own CBS sports rankings, I did keep Volkanovsky at number one after losing the first fight head to head with Mahajev because of how much he raised his game and dared to be great. But I talked about kicking in the face of uh, critics. I did get a lot of feedback in my DMs of how are you going to celebrate this man beating a guy half his size on 12 days notice? Look, we were all there for those 12 days of those 12 days notice. And all we heard from Volkanovsky was that he's ready, he's confident, and even with a lack of five-round cardio, the best fighter in the world at that moment was ready to come in here and deliver a knockout if necessary to get the win. I take that level of confidence from Volkanovsky so profoundly that I even picked him to pull the upset. That's how much I believed in him. And I share that to tell you there's no excuses here. Volkanovski signed the paper. We got the rematch that may not have ever come to fruition. We got it under these circumstances. And what did Mahachev do, who had the same turnaround, by the way, against a new and even more talented opponent? He controlled every aspect of the fight and did something that hasn't happened to Volkanovski since 2013. He finished him due to strikes. There was, yes, a period where Islam was just Habib's boy. But I think Nurmagomedov stepping out of the coaching corner and allowing Islam to get his full close-up and his full flowers, I think this victory for Islam actually meant a lot more than I thought was possible coming in. Pound for pound, number one, not just Habib's boy, best fighter in the world, and on his way, if he's, his plans continue, to maybe a shot at his own 
two division championship opportunity. What you saw was a great fighter come out of his shell even more and show us exactly why he's that great. Jed, your victory lap has become a marathon when it comes to Islam Akhachev. You've been calling this for a while. You've been preparing the world for these kinds of moments. You even said heading into this fight, this fight may not be the same as the first one. And boy, were you right about that. Makachev gets the quick finish. He is MMA Fighting's unanimous pound for pound number one. Where are you at five days later? Biggest takeaways from Makachev's win and the fallout. So the biggest takeaways, I echo certainly some of what BC just said there, right? Like uh, particularly kind of the thing he said at the end, because you heard me coming in, Mike. I didn't think Makachev could gain that much from this fight under these circumstances. I think beating Alexander Volkanovsky more definitively certainly would help, but I thought that coming out of it, okay, if he goes and he wins, the takeaway will just be, well, 12 days notice. Somehow he defied that by doing it in such a fashion that we aren't really factoring that part in, and, and maybe that's a little unfair, though I do ultimately agree with BC saying, you know, Volk signed the paper. He knew what he was getting into there cannot be excuses. So I think one of the biggest things I take away is that, but really the biggest thing I take away from this entire thing is how wrong we might all have been about the first fight. And I, I don't think the, the narrative of that initial battle was look at Alexander Volkanovsky, what he accomplished here. He's a much smaller man. Very clearly he exceeded expectations. He competed he won the fifth round, and if that was a seven-round fight, maybe he you know, wins the title. And that was the story we all took. Volk needs to get his second chance at Makachev so he can right the wrong and, and finish the job. And maybe it's unfair because of the extenuating circumstances here, but I think the benefit of hindsight can perhaps let us look at that first fight and say, look, not taking anything away from what Volkanovsky was able to do in there. That was tremendous. But maybe it was more a thing of Volkanovsky had one of the best performances of his career in front of a home crowd that was very clearly pumping him up and that Makachev didn't have a great night at the office. That happens. And instead, not having a great night at the office, he still won four rounds and retained his belt over one of the best pound-for-pound -pound fighters in the world. And so the story coming out of that event maybe shouldn't have been Let's let Volk get another shot. It was like, let's let Makachev put a stamp on this in the way that he feels he can, because it certainly felt like that coming into that fight, like on the in the cage and afterwards. Him, him doing the now iconic picture while Volkanovsky is bleeding and beaten behind him. That is that is a, a, a moment of him saying, No, you guys all had it wrong. This was not Volkanovsky's story. This is my story. And I, I didn't have the best performance. I'm here to let you guys know. I'm still only 31. I'm only getting better. You are all in trouble. The other big thing, Jed, and I'll go back to you here, is something that we've been preaching for a long time on MMA Fighting is that as cool as that first fight was, it's probably going to be the fight of the year. The one thing about this fight that could have gone really wrong is that Volk could have won the lightweight title. Maybe we get a trilogy fight. Maybe Volk does go back and forth and do the whole thing. And we'll talk about Volkanovsky a little bit more in a second. But at least for right now, the lightweight division can move forward without the featherweight champion. The featherweight division can move forward without Islam Makachev in the picture. So we have featherweights fighting featherweights and lightweights fighting lightweights. So when it comes to Islam Makachev, 
there's two guys really in the race right now. And yes, Makachev has talked about possibly going up to 170, fighting Colby Covington, maybe fighting Leon Edwards. Although at the post-fight press conference, he seemed more inclined to sticking around at 155. But if Colby wins, maybe Islam kind of goes back to that well. But at least for right now, I'm happy to say that Makachev is going to fight another lightweight. But the two guys in the race right now, we have Charles Oliveira, who earned this rematch by just annihilating Benil Dariush back in June. Gets the cut over his eye. Hence, we get the Volkanovsky fight. And then there's a guy named Justin Gaethje, who won the BMF title with a head kick knockout of his own against Dustin Poirier. Seemed like he was next. Volkanovsky stepping in. Might have hurt him a little bit, but he is still in the mix right now. So, Jed, if you are the matchmakers, if the UFC called you right now and said, Jed, matchmake for Islam Makachev next. Are you giving him Charles Oliveira? Because Oliveira... It wasn't his fault he got cut. Or are you giving it to Justin Gaethje, who may get one? This might be his last chance to become the undisputed lightweight champion. Before I answer that, uh, very quickly, I did want to say, in regard to this, any victory lap I'm taking here is not about Islam Makachev because like, we all, I've been super on him. I'm taking the victory lap of the one we should all be taking. We can all get back to real fights now. We can get back to divisions moving forward in the division and we aren't tying up two titles for the sake of one i am the most excited about this outcome because it means islam akachev will get to fight the many lightweights who deserve a chance and that alexander volkanovsky can go back to his weight class and do the thing against Ilya tapuria and the rising crop of young contenders like that is why this was an awesome outcome None of the rest of that matters. As for how this is going to roll at lightweight, we know what's going to happen at featherweight. I think you go Justin Gaethje. I understand the arguments for Charles Oliveira. I think that there are two really critical pieces of information here that I would argue against Charles Oliveira with. The first being, it's not like he he won that title fight because it was it was bulletproof or ironclad. He was simply the dude who kind of fit the timeline. Yes, he has a tremendous win over Benio Darius. Yes, he is clearly the second best lightweight in the world right now. And that is enough to warrant him getting a title fight. I don't have any issues if you do it. But he got the bout because they booked Poirier Gaethje too close to 294 to make that time frame work for the winner of it. And so now that that isn't really the case anymore, I think you go with Gaethje for that. And I think you go with Gaethje for another reason that he said himself kind of in the fallout of all of this. Who else is he going to fight? He's done what has been asked of him. He fought back against Rafael Fazeev. He won that fight. He was an underdog in that fight, came through, did it. Then he fights Dustin Poirier with the assumption that this is for a BMF belt, and realistically, this is for a title shot. He has done all that has been asked, and you got to credit that. And Charles Oliveira beat Benil Dariush, but there were no promises rendered un unto him after that. And realistically, I've said it from Jump Street, and I'll say it till forever, if you lose, you don't get an immediate rematch, and I would like to see you win two more fights. I think coming back and beating Benil Dariush is a terrific win. I'd like to see him get one more to have a little bit more space between the first fight with Islam and the second fight because I thought coming into this fight, I wasn't that interested because I, I watched the first one. I know how it will go the second time. Give me a little more reason to believe in Charles Oliveira. Have him fight Matush Gamrot for the next in, next in line. And let Justin Gaethje get his final day in court to see if he can prove to be the best lightweight in the world. BC, Jed is booking Justin Gaethje. 
Are you doing the same here? You know, I am now, and it's only because the Volkanovski rematch got sort of forced in here out of necessity. When the UFC initially booked Charles for this rematch, he wasn't my number one choice given at the moment of the division of who was available. But I certainly bought in on the idea because the champion used to have a name, and it was Dobronx, and the performance that he put off against Darius seemed to align perfectly with what was Oliveira's mission, working mission statement about what went wrong against Mahachev the first time, that it was an aberration, that it was 10 bad minutes as he, you know, paraphrasing him as he said afterwards, but that that's not the fighter that he is. In that moment when this was originally scheduled, I was all for it. The main reason now why I don't want that next, and also, look, let's be honest, is Gaethje a slightly better commercial option than a rematching Oliveira uh, for Makachev right now? I think yes. When you just do a BMF pay-per-view against a fan favorite like Poirier, we know what we're getting out of that. We're getting a, a, a sexy B-side in Gaethje who's all action, has a great reputation that he's putting in. But that's also not the main reason. The main reason is this. If you go like this for Makachev's title run, acknowledging that some of the criticism that he hadn't really ever fought anybody elite before he fought for the title. I don't think that's a hundred percent accurate, but there's some level of realism to that. I don't want him to then essentially face the same two fighters in four consecutive fights, because I do think that mm -hmm. befell Kamaru Usman's reputation and legacy. While we all can echo what Dana White has said all week, although in this case it was for Usman's daring-to-be-great company man attitude for coming in last minute and accepting a big paycheck one division up was the idea that Usman is an all-time great fighter. I do think that's true. The win streak that he put together before getting to the title level and then the dominance that he showed as champion early on, you can't deny that. But can you point to the crack in the wall and basically say as great as that was, we had to see him beat Masvidal twice and Covington twice. Both rematches weren't necessarily necessary, although I think there was more call for a Covington one given that their first fight was close. I think when you look back on that, it can be easy to say, well, look, he's a great fighter who put together a great streak, but as champion, who did he face? Why did he have to face all these guys consecutively? Mixing it up, putting Gaethje in there now, doing what Jed said, which is making Charles go back to the well one more time against particularly if I could choose one of these next generation lightweights that are climbing up the rankings to sort of double down and fully earn it. I think it would make the possibility of Charles versus Islam too, if we get there even bigger. And I think when you look at somebody like a fan favorite of Justin Gaethje, when it goes for not just him, but this entire aging class of lightweight action stars, we know that when it goes right around your mid-30s, it tends to go quickly, whether it's your chin, your reaction time, or or whatever that makes you look old. Sometimes, like we saw with Volkanovski, by the way, against Mahachev, it's a failure to launch, a failure to throw strikes. Gaethje seems like the next right fight right now, and I'm okay with it. And I think we're all in agreement that if they book Oliver, we're not going to complain about it, but I just kind of want to see Gaethje get one more crack at it. You know what yeah. I mean? I, I feel like I feel like he's on his last legs. At this point, oh, definitely, for sure. So I would like to see what he could do. And plus him and Makachev is just, it's fresh, it's different. And stylistically, especially after seeing what Gaethje has done in his last two fights, I am absolutely enthralled by that idea. But like like I said, if you go with Oliveira, I'm fine with that as well. Uh, last thing, BC, let's talk about Alexander Volkanovsky, where he goes from here. Because before this whole thing came together, and I know it wasn't announced, and I know it wasn't fully done, Penn hadn't gone to paper, but... Everybody I'd spoke to, all signs were pointing towards Volkanovski versus Taporia, January 20th, UFC 297, I believe, in Toronto. 
And then Volk gets this fight. And one of the first things he said after he got this fight was, I'm going to go fight Islam. Win or lose, I'm going to turn right back around. And I'm going to fight in January against Ilya Taporia. I don't think anyone expected him to get knocked out the way that he did. And then he showed up to the post-fight press conference, got real raw, real emotional, talking about going through some sort of mental issues that fighters go through when they don't have an opponent and a date circled on the calendar to prepare for. Volk was happy to get the call because he felt like the, the time frame from July to January was far too long, and he still thinks he could turn around in January. I don't want to see that. I know a lot of other people don't want to see that. We want to see the fight, but if we have to wait two or three extra months, who gives a shit? But at this point, your biggest takeaway from what Volkanovsky has said in the aftermath, the Taporia fight, him wanting to turn around in January, the whole nine. Yeah, this is an ill-advised idea, and you're going to get a lot of people to say, well, look, it was an ill-advised idea to fight uh, Mahachev on 12 days' notice. You heard, you know, that was the biggest takeaway from Alex after the fight, that this is not the guy that you want to fight on 12 days' notice. Well, also, Alex, Topuria's not the guy you want to fight on two months' notice after getting head kick KO'd and revealing some of the things he revealed. So let's be honest about this. I thought it was great what Volkanovsky said afterwards, showing us that these guys are human at the end of the day. What he's been doing lately has almost been inhumane or or just superhero level of abilities, raising his wrestling game and fighting Machev on almost even terms at times to produce the idea that, wow, we do need this rematch. And you know what? We can't count Volkanovsky off. That led to me buying in on everything Volkanovsky said, as I mentioned earlier, on this 12-day turnaround and the confidence that if anyone can do it, needing a knockout moving up a division. Maybe it's this wizard. The problem is when Volkanovsky revealed his heart to us after the fight, I think he also revealed why I got fooled and a lot of people did on his confidence. It wasn't rooted, in my opinion, in the right reasons. If Volkanovsky had come out after the fight and said, look, guys, I believed in myself too much. I read my press clippings too much. I read everybody's pound for pound debates too much. I believe that if anybody can do it, it really was me. And you know what? I got humbled. That's okay. But I'm going to take some time. I'm going to figure it out. I'm going to come back. Instead, his revealing of a very honest reality in this fight game that I don't think is talked about enough, it comes off as major red flags. And I think explains in a negative way why he took this fight. And that's ultimately because not being in training camp, not being that dude, the pound for pound king, the future all-time great, you're reigning and feather, defending featherweight champion, that gave him a certain level of identity crisis. That gave him a certain level of, you know, understandable sort of anxiety, maybe even depression that he dealt with where he said it was all going to his head and he just needed something to activate that and, and make himself feel alive again. The problem is that these fight games are, you know, as Dana White says sometimes, and it's a paraphrase on an old Vince McMahon uh, saying that, you know, it's not a career, right? It's an opportunity. And even though Volkanovsky's had an incredibly long career and probably still has some big moments left, you're not superhuman. It's not automatic that you can do stuff like this. And if you take a fight this difficult, meaning Mahachev, for the wrong reasons, you 100% shouldn't double down and take a short turnaround Taporia fight, which you could argue is just as dangerous and for different reasons under the same circumstances. So while I applaud Volkanovsky for saying this is the reason why I kind of screwed up and why I did this, he's not repairing it by then saying, you know what? I should take six months off. I should go back, be a family man, and really figure out what my true identity is. I think it's something that's relatable to all of us when we have a successful career and we're trying to figure out 
Am I just living on the reputation of who I am in this job? Or am I happy with who I am in my day-to-day as husband, father, whatever you have you? I think these are true questions that Volkanovsky has to look into his own mirror and figure out. Why? Because if he goes in there against Tapuria with some of the same unfinished dealing of those emotions and loses, then look what happens in two consecutive fights and what that will have done to his legacy losing the championship after losing an opportunity of basically for immortality by moving up a weight and going for a second title. I'm never going to hold the level of daring to be great against Volkanovsky that he did, because I think for some fighters, it's special. It makes watching combat sports fun. But when you reveal the reasons why it seems very ill-advised and doing a similar quick turnaround against Topuria after being knocked out, just not a strong idea for one of the smartest fighters in the history of the sport. The problem here, though, the UFC loves this. That's the quickest way to Dana's heart. So do I believe if he says he's ready and the doctors clear him that he could be there in Toronto in January? Yeah, unfortunately, I do. Yeah, I mean, like we we talked about on the post-fight show, Jed, Volkanovsky is beyond the prime of his career at this point. He's on the back nine, and but still very, very good. But he's in the prime of his prize fighting career. This is where he's making all the money. He's becoming a star. He's getting these big opportunities and big fights and main event spots. Just had you know headlines, international fight weeks. He's in big moments all over the place here. And what's interesting about 2023, besides all the chaos, is this is the second time that a champion who reigned upon their division for a long time has dealt with this because Israel Adesanya lost the title in November against Alex Pereira. Then he regains the title in April and then loses to Sean Strickland. And a lot of the questions surrounding Izzy was, is the schedule just too much at this point? And yes, there's 12 days notice. It's a little bit different, but it's not like Israel Adesanya had three months to prepare for Sean Strickland. He didn't have a whole lot of time to prepare for that man either. So it, Israel took some time to reflect and then recently said in an interview, I'm going to take some time off, but when I come back, you're all effed. So where are we at with Volkanovsky here? I assume he's going to fight Taporia first quarter next year. I don't think it's going to happen in January, but how are you feeling about Volkanovsky five years later, after five days later after this loss and everything that he said and what he said on his YouTube channel and all that fun stuff? Pretty bad. Um, I'll start with the positive. Uh, I watched his YouTube response and I am happy to know that, you know, this, at, at least from his perspective, this was really not a, um, bearing his soul in a way that he was reckoning like with things real time that he does see a sports psychologist that these are things he is taking care of in his life. Um, so I'm really glad to hear that. You know, I think that that was like one of the most concerning things, uh, an entirely separate concerning thing has emerged since then. Uh, and BC sort of alluded to it in kind of the previous question we were talking about. And it was him just sort of saying outright, I couldn't really pull the trigger in there. Um, I am open to the idea that that had to do with not being prepared enough, you know, big weight cut, sort of those parts, meaning that he just wasn't dialed in. But very much the first thing that goes as fighters age is almost always the ability to effectuate what their brain is thinking. The reactions are slow. They cannot pull the trigger as much. And you, we have just seen this time after time after time with, with aging stars and some people can get by with guile and make it work, but you see over time that that only deepens and you get an Anderson Silva who still has all of the tricks in the bag, but can't fire the shot anymore. 
really concerning for a dude who just turned 35 um, because we all know the stats on being that old in lower weight classes and where that goes. Super duper concerning for a dude who just turned 35 and couldn't pull the trigger coming off his first knockout loss in a decade, fighting an absolute hammer in Ilya Tapuria, you know, like on not even that much notice. I mean, if he gets right back into camp right now, that's still January is just around the corner. So all of that is deeply concerning about his long-term prospects uh, moving forward. And like BC, I think if, if he gets medically cleared, the UFC isn't going to stop him. And he's clearly not going to stop himself. And it doesn't seem like any of his coaches are going to intervene either. So I think there's a really good likelihood that, that we end up getting this. And as I'm feeling right now, I think that that lines up really, really well for Ilya Tapuria. And I'll go one step beyond what BC was talking about there. Cause he said, Hey, what if this is the thing that happens and he loses to Tapuria? Now he's lost two in a row. Where does that put him? I'll tell you where it puts him. It puts him lined up for losing three in a row because if he loses that featherweight belt, he is going to get an immediate rematch. Maybe Volkanovsky, if he gets knocked out again, says, I need to take some time off and reset. But everything he is saying does not lead me to believe that that's where he is going to want to do. I, I pitched this about a year ago when he really started pushing for more fights, more fights, please keep me active. I am of the belief that Alexander Volkanovsky, one of the smartest guys in the business, knows that his time is near, that knows that his athleticism is dropping off, that he is not the same young man he once was. And so he is trying to get in as much as he can while his body will allow. And so if he loses to Tapuria, I don't think he's going to come back and be like, hey, man, let me take six months off. Tapuria can go fight Max Holloway and I'll, I'll settle up with the winner. I think he's going to be in the same situation where, all right, let's run it back this summer. And at that point, He's staring down the barrel of 0-3 in his last three fights. And in a Kamaru Usman situation, like a very much the same situation as Kamaru Usman. And then where does he go? What do we do with him? So it was one of the reasons I didn't like this fight. I, you know, this fight with Islam coming in. Uh, and I think that it has created a, a very dangerous, a precipitous slope for him uh, moving forward. And so I, I really hope, you know, better reason wins out. He takes some time off because I think coming back against Tapuria on just a couple of months is, man, that is a, a tough, tough ask. Yep. We'll see what happens. We shall see what like, happens. It's been a straight up. Year. I might've picked Tapuria outside of these ancillary things just because that dude's been incredible. And now you're giving him the benefit of all of these other stuff. Ooh. Man, I'll don't don't help don't help your opponents, guys. Don't do the things your opponents want to do. And if I'm Ilya Tapuri, I am begging you to fight me in January. Yeah, I gotta say that fight was already really interesting. One of the fights I've been looking forward to the most, but that is far more compelling now. In maybe not the best ways, but it's a whole different outlook on that fight, especially if it happens in January. So we'll see how the UFC pr proceeds. We'll see how Volkanovski proceeds. There's other storylines. Jed mentioned one half of the second storyline, Kamar Usman. We're going to talk about him coming up next. But the point for round one goes to... Jed Bishu. It is one to nothing. -na 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 -na. I forgot to put in the music. Or... I just realized I should have actually done this entire thing in the pool. I should just be lounging in the pool <laughs> and doing all of this. Maybe next time. 
something to think about. But a cannonball Maybe the in the preview pool show with, tomorrow. Oh, just a tarps off and, and living life. Yes, we will be doing a preview show tomorrow for Tyson Fury versus Francis Ngannou. I think it's at one o'clock Eastern time tomorrow. Uh, and to mention for some programming notes, we are actually streaming the Fury Ngannou presser on the YouTube channel as well. But we're doing both at the same time. So here is my advice to all of you, because this is a boxing press conference. This is not a UFC press conference. Get, get you a website that can do both. Yes. Uh, maybe pull up a different tab. Put that on. Put it on mute because we're probably not going to see Fury or Ngano for like 45 minutes to an hour at this point. So you can listen to the fine programming here. We're going to talk about the fight. And then when those two gentlemen come up and start saying stuff to each other to try to sell this thing, then you can switch over if you want. But you can always go back and watch it after the fact. So let's continue on. The NBA playoffs are heating up and so is the action at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. DraftKings brings you same-game parlays, live betting, odds boosts, and so much more. Don't miss out as the NBA postseason winds down. And new customers to DraftKings can bet 5 bucks to get 150 in bonus bets instantly. You can download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code VOXMMA. That's code VOXMMA for new customers to get 150 in bonus bets when you bet just 5 bucks. Only on DraftKings. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Or in West Virginia, visit 1-800-GAMBLER.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY-467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas, 21 and over, age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.co slash bball for eligible and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity. But giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge? That takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey, instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's insight assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. And let's talk about Hamzat Shumayev, Jed Mishu, because first fight in 13 months, we were supposed to get the Paul Costa fight. In comes Kamar Usman on less than two weeks' notice. Intriguing matchup, but one one people have been wanting to see for the last couple of years. Once Usman was the champion of the world, he had since lost the belt. But different style, different guy. Usman coming in with pretty much nothing to lose here and could fi- could have found himself out of nowhere in a middleweight title fight had he won the fight. Shamayev looked like a superhuman in the first round. 
Seems like he broke his hand when Kamar Usman basically DDT'd himself to get Shamayev off of his back. Usman wins the second round, starts stealing some momentum. He's doing pretty well in the third. And then Shamayev just runs him over in the third round with the takedown and gets the nod on two of the judges' scorecards. Some weird scoring, but we need we don't need to get into that. So now that things have settled down a little bit, Jed, we've had a chance to digest everything that happened on Saturday with Hamza Shamayev, Usman in this fight. What are we grading Shamayev? What's the grade now? Might is it any different than it was Saturday uh, on the post fight show? No, it's about the same, like a, a B, B plus, right? Like, uh, ultimately, the most important thing he gets the W, right? Like, that's if he loses that fight, even if he gets the draw there, that's pretty tough scenes, particularly given the circumstances. Not what happened, he gets the W, he gets a win over one of the 20 best fighters of all time who's still uh, pretty firmly not in their prime anymore, but. Kamaru Usman is still a very competent dude, even if it's up a weight class, right? Like, Shemaev himself was once a welterweight. You, it's fine. Uh, but we can't pretend it's all roses and sunshine and gumdrops here. Like, it, it very clearly wasn't. Uh, you know, there's reports that Shemaev broke his hand, broke his wrist. I, I cannot confirm that. I don't know that anyone has. And so you take this with a grain of salt. But the reality is we have now twice seen him not totally run over a dude. And in both instances, uh, the fight has been quite tough for him. We, he he is one of the best hammers we've got. When he's hammering, buddy, he's hammering you. And when he is not, it is he, he's still in the fight. He he still beat Gilbert Burns and Kamaru Usman, um, despite like after the first rounds, he still did enough to win. But it, it looks very different, obviously. And I think we we have to treat that seriously. Like this might be who he is. He may be a terrific cannon in the first round and then a little weaker in the back ones. And that's something that might be pretty tough to make hay with, like in the title picture at, at 185 right now, because a lot of those dudes, high cardio output people. So uh, I think you can give him a good grade because he, he passed, but he left you wanting more. There is work to do, but that works out pretty well for, for some other people in this weight class, Mike, Said it before, I'm going to say it again. Biggest winner on Saturday was, was Islamakachev. Number two, Drikas Duplessis. New life for the South African after that performance. We will see if you were right in a moment. But new go ahead, life. He's, he's still out of the title picture at the moment. I don't see any new life. I see it's Strickland versus Chumayev coming my way, and then the winner facing... Adesanya at UFC 300, so stick that way. Jed, are you in Florida right now because you're on the run from the law or or on vacation right now? What or is just are you have you been held in contempt of, of MMA court? Is that I mean we have all right? There we go. Hey, look, here's the deal. All right, we've seen a lot of great first round fighters in the history of this sport, and if this is the direction in the history of combat sports, right? You look incredible, Shane Carwin. Nobody ever looked greater for the first five minutes of a fight. Amir Khan in boxing. Problem with Chemayev now is I believe I have seen too many consecutive question marks across the board, which really have me wondering whether this guy is more smoke and mirrors than legit and whether my colleague at times, the great uh, Hall of Famer Rashad Evans, who, who texted me during the fight and said, oh, man, I hope he's not the bully that he's starting to look to be. And what that means is. You can look great when your plan A is going to perfection. When Chemayev is facing anyone below the A minus level in terms of quality of opponent, I mean, he's destroying them. 
the, the, the question is, what do you do when you're looking across at somebody who is your equal or has some element to their game? And obviously for Gilbert Burns, it was that dog and that chin in him where they're going to make it difficult. Let's be honest here. Although I think Usman deserves flowers for his willingness to help out the company and take such a difficult fight coming off two straight defeats and for his ability to hang in that fight and not go away. But after the way he was dominated in round one and having his own failure to launch situations in rounds two and three, where I got to believe that Kamara was going to watch the tape from this fight and realize that there was an opening, an opportunity to win. He just wasn't busy enough. What we saw out of Chemayev in rounds two and three, even if he hurt his right hand, which I think needs to be said, even if he hurt his right hand, I didn't see confidence. I didn't see a huge willingness to be that guy. Okay, let's say he took round two largely off because he kind of blew his wad in the opening round where, yes, he looked like an A++++ 100-level video game fighter right there. Um, even if he needed in round two to catch up, round three, man, I mean, yeah, he did enough to win. Not super impressive against a opponent who we weren't really giving a ton of chances coming in despite his experience level because the age, the moving up in weight, the recent form, the, the question of the injured knees. So here's what I want to talk about Jemayev as a whole. Look, he may go out there and beat Sean Strickland and win the championship in the next time. And by the way, there's always going to be fighters who, let's say, are missing certain elements of their game where, look, if things go their way, Sean O'Malley, if things go his way, he showed you that he can go out there and win a championship because his A game is so strong. But Jemayev is now showing certain red flags that are scaring me as somebody who from the beginning, from the jump in 2020, like everyone else was like, oh my God, this guy's so special that he's the rare type of guy that I'm not even sure we need to wait until he shows us that he's fully legit. Let's get him right in the welterweight title picture right now. Unfortunately, there have been hiccups that have produced some of these large red flags. Is it his fault that he contracted double COVID and question nearly retired post-pandemic? Now he's revealing after the fact, I don't know if people saw this interview that he did in Russian where he said he was misdiagnosed with cancer, got scared, turned out he's okay. Separate from that though, red flags in the Gilbert Burns fight. And that's nothing against what Gilbert Burns did, but Chemayev's willingness to sort of just enter into a brawl and not lean on his own strengths had me a little bit concerned, but I wrote it off as he wants to prove to the world that he's that badass, that he's that dude. Okay, how about missing weight against Nate Diaz? Missing weight by nearly eight pounds in the closest thing you can get at the elite level in UFC to a showcase pay-per-view main event where you are being set up, pitched to the masses in a fight that there's no chance you really can lose so that we can believe and buy in that you're the next pay-per-view star. Even if it, look, I get that Chemayev did an interview uh, during media day that kind of, kind of suggested some of the conspiracy things that I've thrown about trying to be a funny guy, but also having questions about that situation. Chemayev hasn't necessarily explained whether somebody told him to miss weight, but let's just say it's all on the up and up. Are we okay with this same fighter who's now going into a title shot in a new division that when he got his biggest close-up opportunity, if there's no conspiratorial elements to this of wanting to protect Nate Diaz and not get him beat up on the way out, then that's a monster red flag that with that much pressure on him in the spotlight that he wouldn't miss weight by two pounds or whatever, that he would miss weight laughably. And I understand that he believes he didn't get the chance to fully cut that down, but there has to be a reason why his team and the doctors and the UFC told him not to. And now this new red flag of potentially not having the level of cardio that you would need and also the potential of being a bully. 
if Chemaev can't finish you in the first round as he's starting to show you now in two fights against elite opponents in Usman and Gilbert Burns, and by the way, both were smaller than him. Now he's up at middleweight. I have concerns and questions when you're facing these killers that are automatically, for the most part, if they're of the truly elite level, are at least going to be able to push you to the third round, maybe the fourth round, and then we see what happens. When when Chemayev is not in that A gear on top of you, dictating the terms of the dance and kicking your effing ass, I'm sorry to say this, he's starting to look a little bit human. And that's not a good thing for a guy who has so much hype behind him, has this unnatural level of political connections to a dictator that you know making a lot of people so uncomfortable maybe there's built-in pressures in that relationship out of financial help and control i don't know i'm speculating but that's what this whole conversation is a speculation is chamayev really that dude i'm here to tell you he might beat sean strickland without fully showing us he's that dude but until i see him go in there against a guy who's at least his equal and fight on elevated terms for the full fight even I am going to have trouble activating that knee-jerk response in me that wants to say that guy's a motherfucker and he's coming for all the belts. I once believed that. I'm not sure I can anymore. I'm sorry. That's just where I'm at. Show me. Show me what you got, Hamza. You sound so disappointed. I once believed <laughs> in you. I once believed. But here's the thing. He won both of those fights. He found ways to win. So unlike Shane Carwin hey, Mike, in big spots, unlike... Not listen to Rosie Perez and White Man Can't Jump. Sometimes when you win, you actually lose. <laughs> and sometimes when you tie, you actually win or lose. I don't know what that means, but I think it explains everything. Hey, look, we're going to talk about Kamara Usman in a minute. And that last portion of Rosie's quote might actually play well into what Kamara Usman did. But that's the thing. He ain't looking superhuman. Like Alexander Romanov looked like, Jed, you and I were both like, this guy's going to fight for the belt. And then he got into a second round marching Tybora and we're like, nope, he ain't fighting for a belt. Actually, no, we were wrong. Yeah, we were so wrong. And he hasn't been the same, but Shamayev is winning. He's finding ways to win. And at the end of the day, when you don't have your fastball, if you could win, and these wins are not against Gerald Mearshart, no offense, Gerald Mearshart, but it's not like he's fighting the 45th best welterweight on short notice. This isn't a Diego Lopez, Mavzar of Loyev situation. This is Kamara Usman. That was Gilbert Burns be able to dig down and find a way to win. I took a lot from the Burns fight in a positive sense. I understand why there's a little bit of trepidation with the Usman thing, but he also was preparing to fight Paulo Costa, a middleweight with a totally different style. And then all of a sudden had to sh switch gears himself after a 13 month layoff and fight Kamara Usman, which is a totally different style. So I understand the trepidation. I understand the question. So BC, you mentioned Sean Strickland. You feel like you are very confident here that he's going to get a title shot. To what Jed was going to say and said earlier, DDP's best friend right now is availability. And if for some reason the UFC decides to exercise caution on Alexander Volkanovsky and says, hey, you ain't fighting in January and they need somebody to call, they probably will just call Sean Strickland and say, hey, you fight. And if DDP says gets the same call and says, hey, fight in January, you're not getting a title shot, if he says yes, that's probably the fight we're going to get. So question is, after this performance and everything you had to say, one to 10, how confident are you that Hamzat Shemaev's next fight will be for the middleweight title? I'm really, 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 really confident. Like eight and a half out of 10. 
Uh, I don't think this is a fight that needs to be rushed and turned around in January unless, unless your sole intention is having the winner face Adesanya at UFC 300 if it's going to go down in April, which storyline-wise, whether it's Adesanya rematching uh, Sean Strickland or facing DDP or, heck, facing Chamayev, it's a big freaking deal. I just don't know if you necessarily need to rush this out. I mean, look, if you're going to put Chemayev in the spot and put on the moniker of a number one contender fight in this Usman one, which they did, they they raised the stakes. And to your point, Mike, won the damn fight, right? We're not, we're not necessarily arguing over whether he should have won, although, yes, one judge did give the overall benefit of the doubt in every category to Usman to first to force, excuse me, that draw on that scorecard. Uh, I just think DDP broke in general, right? The one cardinal rule that you don't when the UFC is trying to put together their big plans and offer you a big life-changing opportunity, which is to say, wait, hold on. Not sure I'm going to be ready in time. Want to get the full camp. Want to make sure I do me, right? I mean, remember they did that to Francis when he's like, yeah, I can't turn around in three months after winning the title. Can I just wait four so I can go to Africa, visit my family, walk around with the belt, do that? They're like, nah, nah, sorry. You're going to get an interim title popped in here. And by the way, we hate you. That's sort of where it goes. And I think when we're in this era or this calendar year, when good Lord Endeavor and UFC only care about the money, the live gate, putting on big main events that cause people to sell out the entire card, regardless of the price, as soon as it's put on sale, because they just so badly want to see this traveling attraction in their own city. When you do what DDP did to them, although fully justifiable and understandable in a regular line of work, when you do that in this calendar year, when they are purposely watering down cards, and now you see the hustle they have to put in at both 294 and 295, just to keep this thing afloat and keep it on the road, Nah, they're not going to call up your boy, even though you called that. And I still don't even see how it was freaking possible that he beat Robert Whitaker, let alone finished him. Shout out to DDP. You're way better than I thought. And by proxy, I guess Jed's way smarter than I imagined, too. But with that said, nah. no, you don't need to rush this back. All right. They've shown us time and again that Chemayev's their guy. Do you realize that pretty much any other fighter, if they miss weight by nearly eight pounds in a pay-per-view main event, forcing the entire card to be switched around last minute, causing all this extra money to pay to fighters to take last minute opportunities. There's a penalty for that. Unless you're the next big thing in the sport, which Chemayev is, I think they'll actually work around his recovery schedule to make sure that this fight is big and that, would they want the belt on him? Yeah, they would. So let's go Chimaev here. They don't like DDP. They don't need to love him here. He's just another guy to them right now. And you know that's true, Jed. You know it. Yeah. And look, Couldn't just, be more just, wrong, BC. Yeah, I'll get to you, Jed. It just, just to clarify what I was saying, I'm only saying this because I don't think Hamzat's fighting in January anyways. So, But if they need to book a main event, Sean is over right now. And the alternative is Raquel Pennington versus Juliana Pena for the vacant Bantamweight title. So I think if the UFC had their druthers, they're probably going to give Sean Strickland a call. And if he says yes and Drickus Duplessis says yes, all right, we're going to fast track DDP into this fight just so we have a fight to kick off the calendar year that people might actually want to see or buy or buy tickets for, as opposed to this is what you get, Canada. You got Nunes Aldana and now you're getting Pena Pennington. Welcome back. Welcome back. We miss you. We miss you very, very much. But Jed, outside of that happening, let's just say Volk Taporia goes through, all goes well. We can make hay with whatever we have in middle way. We don't have to rush anything. You think DDP deserves a title shot? Most people feel he does. But will he get it? Will he get it? 
I think so. I am I am the the like fourth grade math teacher who's looking down at Brian's paperwork and being like, you you have it all. You've done all you've shown your work and you somehow got the wrong answer. Two plus two equals seven. That just doesn't work here, BC. You said it. The UFC cares about money. There, this is not an, an issue of doing anything other than we've got to put on cards. We need dudes to fill out the space. And and the, the true answer is that the dude who's going to get the next middleweight title shot is the guy who's going to say yes. It is not going to matter about the matchup. It is going to matter about the timeline because that's what the UFC is concerned about. And if it is stepping in for the January card or maybe just being the headliner for February, either of those. I don't think Hamsat's going to turn around that much. And I don't think he's even the first call. I think if Hamzat, if somehow DDP turns down the offer, Hamzat is a totally fine and they can sell that fight. But I think this this cut as cleanly as possible for DDP at this point. He is clearly the most deserving in a meritocratic world. I don't think that's really beyond question at this point in time. And he doesn't even have the, the sell of fighting like Izzy, which is, that was the thing that seemed like it was going to happen. Okay, Izzy loses. They're going to do Izzy DDP, and Strickland's going to fight the winner of Hamzat versus Costa. All of that's off the table now. DDP has no one to fight but for the belt, whereas Hamzat has the ready-made fight with Paulo Costa. You do that, I don't think he's as over as he could be right now coming off that performance. So instead, you give him the Costa fight. There's plenty to sell that fight. There is the built-in rivalry Costa's a top guy in the division, a former title challenger. So if he, if if Hamzat can beat him, then that's an easy sell. He is next in line, no questions asked. And meanwhile, you get DDP and Sean Strickland. And the last thing on this, the thing that I think puts it ever so slightly over the top here for DDP, is the champ himself. Sean Strickland is going to fight whoever the UFC puts in his way. Like That's just who he is, and that's fine. But he came out basically immediately and was like, Hamzat doesn't deserve this. I shouldn't have to fight this dude. I'll fight him, but like, this is kind of bullshit. And and he spoke truth to what we all know to be true. Like it is, it's garbage to let Hamzat come in off of this win, a late notice, eking out a majority decision over a career welterweight. Like that's, I think that ultimately reason is going to carry out. And as long as DDP says yes, he's going to be the next guy to fight for the middleweight title. All right, Mike, can I poke a few holes in that? I don't know how the order of the show goes. I usually just talk when I hear something that offends me. All right, let's 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 be honest right here, okay, on, on DDP's chances. Why was he allowed to cut the line and jump the queue? Because there was a USC, or, or, or they're very good at what they do. They're opportunists. They play the hot hand. They blow up meritocracy when things change. Oh, Bisping fell into the middleweight title? Let's get 46-year-old Dan Henderson back up in the bullpen. Nah, it doesn't matter if he you know, is trading wins with the Tim Bosch levels of the world. He's going to rematch Bisping for the title in a main event. That's what they do. It was the beef. Well, that, that Tim Otis- Bosch knockout was dope, though. So was the Hector Lombard one, especially now the story behind it that Hendo shared on the Joe Rogan show. Wild. But let's get back to business here. DDP was in the conversation because UFC recognized something. A growing hatred between two prominent fighters. It just so happened they're of different race and they're doing the all African. I'm the real African champion thing. And whether that was blown up more by social media than it actually Nonsense. was or he, not. DDP never what, said that. He Hold never on. said he's more African. Sir. He strictly just said that I am. Objection. I go oh, home to Africa. Objection. I am not more African. 
Does, Israel, does Izzy live in Africa? No. I did put a disclaimer in there just now that basically said whether that was really true or social media. I know, I just that really like to mock So that would have covered it. But here's argument. my point, Jed. DDP had his window when him fighting Adesanya would have been massive. UFC actually could have said, you know what? Maybe we really could do a fight on African soil. If there's one to do it, it's that one since we're not going to do Jones versus Ngannou, which probably should have been the one. So my point is now we have Adesanya who not only lost, not only lost badly, but he's come out on his own channel and said, look, I'm going to take some time off. Now he's got to be careful though. He turns 35 next summer. And then Luke Thomas's beloved stat of how it's impossible for anybody not named Tyron Woodley to win any type of title fight, welterweight or below or not. That'll change that. Although he's at middleweight. But my point is DDP was allowed to cut the line and given the chance to fight Whitaker in a number one contender fight because of the potential for this. He turned down his own potential by breaking UFC's heart and doing the one thing you don't do when you're in his spot alternately can what's the word i'm looking for concurrently i don't know i'm not really good with grammar the whole point Conversely. is this shemaev actually has a storyline because him and strickland have actually have a history of sparring in extreme couture and if you talk to people like coach eric nixick who was on the morning combat podcast in a lengthy interview recently he said look strickland you know he didn't head to head he didn't get his ass kicked. Like there were moments where they both had in their particular strengths and it doesn't seem like they really like each other either. That's the area where it's going to go for DDP. He's probably going to end up having to fight the only other guy who has worse luck in this title picture. And that's Jared Cannonier, who was the backup, but then didn't get the call when they need to switch fights and then did get the call for this one's the backup and then injured himself after accepting it. That's just what that is. That's the truth. Let's wake up here, Jed. Come on, please. Let me go back to chewing this gum. Did, all right. And kicking your ass. He can't fight Cannoneer. Cannoneer blew out his MCL. Cannoneer's not back for six All right. eight months. Pa Paulo Costa coming also, off the elbow. Also, just, what is? I don't understand what line did DDP jump by fighting Robert Whitaker? Was there a line to fight Robert Whitaker? He was like the well, number yeah. There's six a line of people fighting Bobby that Knuckles. Have, That's just there's a how line of people who have works. earned enough quality wins to justify getting a number Ooh, one contender fight Jared against Cannonier, the who Whitaker already beat. Whitaker already beat all the other dudes. He was fighting the next highest ranked guy yet and fought. And he Dude, got your boy played himself. Thumped. Your boy played himself, unfortunately. Oh, he, I'm sorry. You're saying he played himself by not accepting a fight on a very brief turnaround? It's almost as if we like just saw how well taking fights on short notice goes. Not all it's that different. Hot. It's different when you have leverage. He only had leverage because of Adesanya. Volkanovski had real leverage. So if you want to argue that that was no, a bad I, idea, you can. I could argue. I I assume that actually DDP's leverage wasn't the Izzy fight because if he had that leverage, they wouldn't have made him fight Robert Whitaker, which on this program and several others I called the stupidest thing I've ever seen. His leverage came from freaking thumping Bobby Knuckles. Nobody thumps Bobby Knuckles. I assumed that that would have made him an ironclad title challenger. And they're just like, nope, we're going to do the winner for a season. Costa. But you have to agree. UFC works in reactionary seasons of what fights make sense to them and what fights don't. Charles Oliveira made a lot of sense to them until he got a cut. And now you and I are going, yeah, it's probably Gaethje next. That's how it works, Jed. They do, and that's why I'm saying that I think that it makes sense for DDP now. Hamzat, if Hamzat had finished Kamal in round one, we're not even having this conversation. If he fishes that choke out, we're all on board. Obviously, Hamzat's getting it. But the manner of that win, and then the fact that afterwards he didn't come out and do his, like, Hamzat, I kill everybody, I had Sean Strickland, you're dead thing. And he was just like, 
no, I'm just happy. I just want to keep fighting. You know, I like getting wins. I like making money. Okay. Like he didn't, he did not make a case that, uh, that made it necessary. And I think the most telling thing of all of this is the post fight Dana White, you know, who says he doesn't make fights immediately after events, but like pretty often does do that was yeah. not like, yeah, we're definitely doing Hamza. I was like, yeah, that's, it's an option we could do. We'll, we'll see how it all plays out. Like I, that's the death knell for Hamza to me. I think he's fighting Costa next and that fight makes all the sense in the world. And then the winner of that fight fights the winner of DDP Strickland. And then Izzy, when he comes back and fight, whoever's holding the belt at the end of all of this. Well, the only reason why I like your Chemayev Costa idea is because it seems like Costa fought off some unidentified Russian MMA fighters in the cage as soon as Hamzat's fight ended last week or outside the cage in the crowd. So did that you hear him explain into... that? It's the it's an incredible story. <laughs> yeah, that, that seems. And by the way, back to you, Mike, if I'm going to check everybody, the reason why the UFC won't talk about the future of the vacant Bantamweight title is obviously surrounding UFC 300 and their want to put together some combination of Rousey, Holm, Tate and Pena against each other. Come on. Let, we know this. We know this. Rousey, be, right? it's Rousey home too for the Bantamweight strap. Let's go. It, it's going to be that gross. Be and they're going to do it. They're going to shamelessly do it, guys. I shamelessly. Call, I called for this like, I don't know, three months ago. I'm super in. It's the dumbest thing ever. Let's book it. All right, real quick before we move on. Uh, BC, Kamar Usman fought valiantly, loses the majority decision. One judge gave it a draw after getting 10 aided in the first. Where's his stock now? Three losses in a row, two to Leon Edwards, lost the belt, lost his chance to regain it, and then fought freaking Hamzat Shemaev on super short notice. And Live to tell the tale. Where is his stock right now after three straight losses? It's kind of lingering in the middle because three losses is rough when you're 36. You don't really have a, a path now in either division to the top. But here's what you do have. Real leverage. You talk about why would the UFC continue to penalize DDP for making one wrong decision, even though it was really the right one. We all know that. Well, Usman made a decision to help them for probably huge money to fix this fight in this card. Why? Because it seems like the site money the UFC is being paid by Ab by Abu Dhabi is so much higher than anywhere else that they are treating that like a major and will go to all lengths to replace the star power there. And then what I say, as they should for a major pay-per-view card, but Dana said afterwards himself, I don't care if Usman wants to go back to welterweight or stay at middleweight. He's going to get another big fight because of what he did for us. Dana's not even hiding his cards. There is a major problem, though. Even though Usman retained a certain level of his stock, critically, when you consider that people like me, up until fight day, were like, oh, my God, this is such a bad idea. He's going to get knocked out. He's got no knees. I think they popped in that in that in that video with Gaethje, there's a shooter behind the bushes over there. Oh my God, is that the senator's brain on Mrs. Kennedy's coat? What's going on here? It was a lot of weirdness there for sure. But um, I think at the end of the day here for Usman, showed your heart by staying in that fight and not succumbing to that first round attack that most fighters would, to be fair. But I think even his own very humbling reveal in his post-fight interview with Megan O'Levy, which I think was very good on both of their ends, Kamaro for being that open, Megan for being that caring and pulling this out of him. But you hear Usman talk about that thing, right? So there's, we always think of getting old as only your chin went. But we're finding out that an inability to, to connect the wiring and your brain convincing your body to do what it once did easily without thought is a major problem. Uh, Tyron Woodley, the only guy that's beaten this sub welterweight uh, uh, Luke Thomas stat, 
when it was over for him, it was over like that. But and it happened to be in that title loss to, to Usman and carried through. But the problem wasn't a lack of athletic ability or if he still had some semblance enough of speed and power to hang in there or even his great fight IQ, which I think has made Woodley's title run at welterweight, one of the most underrated in company history, mostly because Dana spent so much of that time shitting on him publicly when it was gone for uh, Woodley in that sense, he couldn't get his brain and his body to agree. Usman just revealed to us that that's kind of what happened in this fight mixed with him, not really having enough confidence in himself to go after it. These are major red flags that you're already going to link with the fact that he's 36. He's got a body that seems to be breaking down. Even Rashad Evans, uh, his good friend told us that it's bone on bone in one of those knees and you have a style than when, when you're at your best, you are using this crazy motor and taking people down. The thing is, while I give Usman a ton of credit for how he raised his striking game over Trevor Whitman, and it's really what allowed him to go to the level of number one pound for pound and being in the spot that he was, I think he felt too in love with his striking over time. And when he's leaning too heavily in his striking compared to his wrestling, I don't think he's anywhere close to as dangerous a fighter. Yes, he showed a backbone and an experience level to hang through that fight, but I don't think it gets better from here. I think he pretty much loses all the way through unless they match him against another guy, old name in a similar situation. The kind of matchmaking that I'm never against. Look at Robbie Lawler's exit. Look at how they've started to smarten up a bit lately when you have these aging fighters. Let's put in the fights they actually can win that the fans will celebrate them. Why are we putting Anderson Silva against Derek Brunson? and Jared Cannonier. It makes no sense, right? Yeah, no, it doesn't. So in this case, Usman, I don't think he's going to win again uh, in terms of a meaningful fight, but I do think he'll get the opportunities. I just think when it goes, it goes. And he's got combinations of physical and mental now that are telling him it's over. That's harsh, Jed, but that's the truth, okay? Jed, what do you got for me? I mean, where seriously. You where are you at with Usman's stock right now? I think, I think almost everything Brian said is correct. Uh, I will say... I'm not sure that the moving away from the wrestling was so much a choice as it was a physical requirement because he doesn't have knees. You can't take people down without knees. Like, it's really hard to do that if you can't change your level. Like, fundamentally, he cannot change levels. That's why he does the, like, single leg grab, like, just the snatch single that he keeps just, like, reaching out because he, he doesn't have knees then for a while. Like, that's just where he's at. There's a helicopter. Uh, so I hope you guys can hear that. Uh, they found you, Jed. They found yep, you. They got you. No, I've got this great canopy overhead so they can't see crap. That's why it's it's cool and breezy here. Uh, look, I think most of what BC said is, is correct, though, right? Like, Usman's very clearly past his prime. Uh, I think given the way his style works, we are likely to see a pretty stark drop-off as well. Um Maybe he could make a little more hay at welterweight than at middleweight, just stylistically. But the problem with him is sort of the same one I outlined in the post show is I don't know where he goes. There are two names that I think make sense for him to compete against, given where he's at in his career. One of them, which I think is going to happen. We saw it come after that's picked up a little bit of steam. Robert Whitaker. That was a fight I called for immediately. Um, I think Robert Whitaker probably beats him, but that, Matchup makes sense for both of them sort of as a legends match. And honestly, I think there is an argument that Robert Whitaker too is, is falling off as well. So I think that fight would make a ton of sense. Uh, and I know he is currently booked, but Stephen Wonderboy Thompson is sort of the other one that kind of where they're at in their careers would make sense at some point. But the question for me is how long does Usman keep this up? Because like you talked about Mike with, with Volkanovsky, Usman is, still kind of in his prize fighting prime. Like 
he he already had his great run. He's never getting back to a title. I'm comfortable saying that, but he can still command attention. He is still a star. He can headline, you know, fight night cards or go places or service co-main events. Who do you match him up with? How long is he comfortable picking up losses? Is he comfortable having an Anderson Silva-like end of career where he just sort of has these fun fights, shows something, and maybe loses, um, like, not in the worst way, like Anderson did against Daniel Cormier, et cetera? I think that's kind of where it is, is how long is he content to do this? Because I really doubt he's going to pick up many more wins. Like, if I were saying over, under, number of wins Kamar Usman has left in his career – I'd set the line at 0.5, and I would probably take under. I'm not sure we're ever going to see him win again, even if he will be reasonably competitive for however long he does continue to fight. Well, a lot of aftermath from this co-main event. Let's move on to the shakeups for UFC 295. The point for round two goes to... Ryan Campbell, nicely done, BC. You've done it. You are on the board. I'm back. I'm back. All right. There, there's your pomp and circumstance right there. There you go. Slap yourself around. All right. Let's get right into this. Every time BC's on, this is like a whole episode of Morning Combat. It's like a two-hour show. But hey, love that it. episode of Morning, the most recent episode of Morning Combat helped me get through my seven-hour drive this morning. So it's a great yeah, program. I'm okay with that. It's a great program. Uh Guys, UFC 295 doesn't look the same anymore. Woke up to the dog having to take a piss outside. Had no idea what was going on. It was like 3.45 in the morning. I'm like, yeah, maybe I'll look the dog at Twitter. Knew. The dog knew. He was trying to alert you. Maybe I'll look at Twitter. And then I see Dana White make the announcement. John Jones is injured. We see the video. Him and Stipe are off. But we have a new main event. Yuri Prohashka versus Alex Pereira. One of the most exciting fights on the calendar year for the vacant light heavyweight title, but the new co-main event BC for the interim heavyweight championship of the universe, Sergey Pavlovich, who has just been running fools over taking on Tommy Aspinall, who after recovering from a serious knee injury came back, just iced marching Tybor real quick in London. And now look at Tommy Aspinall getting ready to fight for interim gold at Madison Square Garden. BC, your reaction to Jones's injury, fight with Steve Bayoff, and now we're getting Sergey Pavlovich versus Tom Aspinall for interim gold. So there's this whole, you know, hipster MMA hardcore fan reaction to this, which is like, you know what? There's a better fight, and it moves the division forward with the younger generation. And you know what? Oh, by the way, I never thought Jones, Miocic, was ever going to be competitive anyway, and I'm sure John would have retired after. That's what people like Luke Thomas love to say as a response to this, and their hardcore heart is beating hard enough that they're like, you know, at least we got a real fight. Problem is, you know, a couple times a year you need those historic crossover fights. And maybe it's just because I grew up 90 minutes outside of the shadow of the world's most famous arena and have had life experiences of, look, you go to MSG for anything, concert, circus, hockey game, Knicks playoff game, you're going to see just an elevated excitement level. It's why that arena is so hallowed. UFC finally getting in there after 16 years meant so much to me. And outside of that weird DC Lewis card, for the most part, they've delivered. It sucks for the 
star value. This is not a deep card, and I won't have any MMA fans tell me that, and some are, but I'm really telling you, you only think it's deep because it's better than the other pay-per-view cards this year that were decidedly not deep. It's still not deep at all and was very top-heavy, but I loved the top. I loved the two fights so much. Yeah, I want to see if Mackenzie Dern's for real, not against an Andrade who's getting beat by everybody left and right. And now we're removing this, and it ties in with just what's been the second half of John Jones's career, which has been kind of like the second half of Oscar De La Hoya's career. Damn, and the second half of Ray Carruth's career. Um, very disappointing, mostly, you know, not just from all the arrests John has had, but just from the inactivity of when you have somebody so freaking great, somebody that we've been waiting for like a decade, really, to finally move up to heavyweight and cement the idea with no further debate of who really is the greatest fighter of all time. And look, it's John Jones, all right? Even if this whole USADA thing didn't suddenly possibly, you know, clear him of all of that, which I don't even really think that's true. But the whole point is that guy's the greatest and we knew it. We finally got him to move up to heavyweight after a mostly unexplained three-year absence of either whether he was waiting for Francis to retire or for the UFC to finally pay what he felt he was worth. Either way, we got a vacant title fight. And then Cyril Gon came in there and shat his pants worse than Justin Kish. And we really didn't get this, a true understanding of who 36-year-old John Jones as a heavyweight really is. I don't care how well you think you know this sport or John Jones. You have no idea what it looks like with him against a real heavyweight, trading strikes, you know, five-round cardio, all of the stuff that goes with that. And John put on a considerable amount of weight in rebuilding his body. And while I know the hardcores didn't want the Stipe fight because Stipe hasn't fought in years, well, guys, wake up. Stipe only fights once a year and a half anyway whenever it aligns with his beliefs and the UFC will make that one fight that he's been holding out for anyway. I believe he could have come in here and made a very interesting competitive fight. Is it the two best heavyweights we have right now? Probably not. It's more name value and sort of historically driven. But if you're going to be the UFC and be as arrogant as they have been this year, where you are literally charging $915 for pre-sale, not second market, worst row seats at MSG for this card under the auspices that the great John Jones might be fighting for the last time against the greatest heavyweight in history. Look, I love the pomp and circumstances a part of that because you do need a few fights for year per year that are big events that are for the casuals that are more of a close-up of come see what we're all about when we go to the prom each year and put on the shirt and tie for once. That, to me, what this type of tentpole card is. And even though I love me some Aspinall versus Pavlovich for the hardcore element of finding out who's the next generation of heavyweight and who can win such an interesting style contrast, this doesn't come close to replacing the star value of Jones Miocic. And on top of that, Tommy Aspinall's got to do this on like two hours notice. The same shit we're talking that Volk shouldn't have done. So am I happy about this? No, this freaking blows. And, you know, the ignorance of everyone out there just believing that Stipe is going to come in there and just lay down and not be able to absorb strikes and not be able to keep himself from drowning on the ground. Do you know this, Fireman? I mean, seriously. Um, Now we don't know if this fight's ever going to happen. Not that it needs to happen. It had a window. Every fight's got a window, right? This window is now closed. 
But to now know that I'm not even sure John Jones is even going to fight again, that could change the first time we hear him speak publicly, and maybe it will. But he will be 37 next summer, which is around the time that he would probably return based on the eighth-month turnaround here for this injury. And, yes, there's going to be even more questions about his health. What's he going to look like at heavyweight? Does he still have the heart to want to fight the next contenders? Is it one return and then he retires? Basically, I want to see the potential of somebody who has the chance to be the greatest without even the debate get in the cage and actually show us that. And while this injury is not John Jones's fault, it does coincide with the larger picture of the UFC this year that I do believe the hardcore fans refuse to acknowledge because they were so lusting after the idea of, well, hey, we get a card basically every weekend. Who cares if there's a crowd? Who cares what the matchmaking is? Who cares if Jason House manages everybody on the card and they all make 12 and 12? I want my freaking MMA. So do I. I just like when it's time for the prom that people actually shower and get dressed up nice and we show this world what we can do. Now we're showing them this guy, Sergey Pavlovich, against this other guy, Tom Aspinall. Go ahead, hardcore fans. Enjoy, all right? I'll be sitting here just counting my blessings and wondering how quickly the UFC turns himself into boxing by constantly prioritizing greed above fan experience or fan retention. Thank you very much, Endeavor Era. Wow. Now, you guys couldn't see this, but Jed was reacting their hands in the air hands covering face there was movement going on there there's a lot happening here jed so let's turn it to you as one of stipe miocic's biggest advocates as a man who has did nothing has done nothing but praise stipe over the course of the history of this program on ma fighting for the last three years your reaction to this news and the new fight interim title and what bc just had to say there well, I had some reactions, and then it just kept going on. Listen to this old goober just yell at the at the clouds, like, "Oh, oh no, you can't work from home. You gotta go into an office and work a nine to five. Oh, the sanctity of Madison Square Garden. We gotta have a geriatric fight a dude who's a light heavyweight. It's gotta be done." For the promotion's sake, what are we even doing here? This is such a win. This is such a win. Stipe versus John Jones is the most transparent vanity squash match in the history of fight, probably. Like, we all know what is happening. Even the UFC knows, and that's why Dana White basically explicitly said, we didn't even offer Stipe uh, an interim fight against somebody else. We're just trying to make this fight happen because we know both of these two dudes aren't going to fight anybody else. They're going to fight each other. We can put on on the marquee not for the hardcore fans which is also was blowing my mind about bc the hardcore fans aren't aren't looking for mma every weekend it's the casuals who just want to be able to turn in saturday and see two dudes making 10 and 10 just get it's the casuals who want to see stipe miacic versus john jones because he's the greatest heavyweight of all time who hasn't fought in three years and hasn't won in like half a decade versus the greatest fighter of all time who like probably lost his last fight at light heavyweight has fought one time since then and beat zero gone. Okay. Like this is, we traded out this awful vanity project that I could not have cared less about. And I am on the record because on our ranking show, which is on the pod network, you can go listen to it before this happened. I believe my exact words were, I don't give a shit about this fight because I don't. And most people with working cerebral cortexes agreed. It's a squash match. We know it's going to happen. It doesn't meaningfully do anything for this weight class, and both guys are going to retire. We're trading that for an actual legitimate heavyweight title fight. 
this won't crown the best heavyweight in the world. That remains Francis Ngannou until such time as he loses in MMA, as far as I'm concerned. Or I guess at some point, if he just keeps beating like PFL dudes, then we'll have to have the conversation. But this is legitimately for the best heavyweight in the UFC at this moment. Because the answer ain't John Jones and it ain't Stipe. And that's not to discredit what Jones did against Cyril Gaon. That was an incredible performance after that long time off against a guy who a lot of people were given a really good chance to beat him. But at some point, you have got to put in the work. You do not get to lord yourself as the champion of a weight class for one fight in four years. You gotta do the effort. You gotta be the guy who's going in and getting dubs. And I frankly have no idea if Sergey Pavlovich is good at fighting. I know that he hits people quite hard, and that is all that has needed to be shown thus far. John Jones is undeniably a better overall fighter, frankly, than both of these two dudes. But these guys are in there every day, putting in work, racking up wins. We are trading out a fight I didn't care about for a legitimate heavyweight title fight. I think this is an incredible improvement to this card. It dramatically increases my interest because prior to this, I was interested in this fight mainly only for the co-main event. Now that co-main event is the main event and still freaking slaps. And we have a co-main event that is, is dope. The only problem with it is as BC ended with 12 days notice for Tom Aspinall is not great. Like, I don't love that. We'll see how it goes though. But, but that's really the only negative I have for this. That's an incredible amount of confidence that John Jones is decidedly the better fighter over Stipe right now when John's fought for about 90 seconds in four years, put on 50 pounds That's in weight. That's more than Stipe's done! Would have to be in Stipe's a new 42. division completely. Stipe went through hell three times with Daniel Cormier, <laughs> all right? Then he got killed yeah. by Ngano, yet he still wants to come out fighting. The guy's unbelievable. I, he's got a chin and a work ethic, and you're just basically he like he's a piece of shit. He went through hell right? with Daniel Cormier. And since then, you could have a kid in freaking kindergarten because that was half a lifetime ago. The last time we saw him, he got blown out of the freaking cage. Like, he just hasn't fought anybody. He's a I'll have you know, Jed. I'll have you know that I underwent the three needles five years ago, and it not only killed my libido and happiness and confidence, but it was really the darkest turning point in my life. So, no, I will not be having any more children, okay? None of them will be in kindergarten. And, by the way, uh, Jones Miocic still mattered beyond just vanity. Yes, it was. They don't even like Stipe. This is the only fight they would give him, right? Because they needed that rub to give to John. Obviously, we get that, but... Dude, this is not proper star replacement like this. And by the way, we're bumping up a fantastic co-main event, but another fight that's only happening because the champion got injured who only had a shot to become the champion because two guys fought to a stupid draw after the other original champion got injured. And he only became the champion because John Jones decided to leave this division because yeah. he had so too many cards against Tom I heard Reyes you say and, that on Morning Scott Combat, Coast. and that's like, objectively false. You understand that, right? One, like the so first champion you're talking about is one half of the dudes. The guy who vacated the belt is here. And that same guy who you're saying only got the chance to become champion, that's objectively not true. He could have fought John. Divisions. John quit. Like, John left the division. It's not his fault John left the weight class. He didn't. He wasn't Glover Teixeira who lost to John and then became the champion after. He could have been the dude to beat John. Had a good chance because I watched Dominic Reyes beat John, and we've seen what Dom Reyes has done since beating John. Hadn't been yeah. good. Yuri totally could have been that dude, but John decided to leave. 
That's a great choice on his part. And then spend three years not fighting Francis Ngannou for whatever reason you want to believe that happened. So it's just nonsense. Right, well, like, this, this is a true title fight in the main event. It, it, let me let me ask you this, though. I love rock and roll, steamroller, Matt Frivola. He might be the, the closest thing to a household name on this card now, right? Does that oh, the rest matter? of this card is hot garbage. Hot garbage. And I don't How even think they you. know him outside of Long Island. That's what I'm saying. Nobody knows a lot of these guys. Oh, no. So in that regard, this makes MSG look like Shiite, but they didn't go crazy to replace this like they did Abu Dhabi because the site fee ain't the same. You know that. It's all about I, money now. I do agree that if this were, were Abu Dhabi, they would have tried harder to replace this. But again, I this is a great replacement for my viewing experience. I am twice as interested in this card because there are now two fights I care about. As opposed to like, you know, like you, I'm absolutely in agreement. Uh, Mackenzie Dern, Jessica Andrade is a, Frivola Benoit Saint-Denis is a terrific fight, but that's it. Like there's, the rest of this is, is undeniably a weak card. That wasn't the conversation we were having. The featured bout is Diego Lopez versus who, Pat Sabatini, by the who way. One oh, of yeah. you just threw like side-eyed shade at like 20 minutes ago talking about Diego Lopez versus Bob No, I mean, look, the the fallout of that fight was great because everyone loved Diego afterwards, yeah. but heading in, everyone's like, oh I'm God, Bob Zaravloy is going to kill this guy. You know what I mean? It's, yeah. It was, that actually worked. You created a, 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 you created a guy that could become a star. And then the Alexa Grasso thing on top of it, once people started to know who he was, People are excited about Diego Lopez. Can they I were excited BC to see him fight Bob Zarvloyev. Go ahead. BC, so I'm, I'm, I actually do fundamentally agree this card's weak, and if it were Abu Dhabi, they would have tried harder. What do you think they could have even tried to do better here, though? Like, what, what fight mean, look, could they make? They're hamstrung. I get that, but I don't know. I wanted MSG to matter. I mean, you know, when... when it, Dude, it, it Yuri Alex what, is going to be one of the fights of the year. I love it. I love it, but that's, that's, yeah. I mean, I don't, I don't want to be a hater, dude. I obviously love to find out what happens in Aspinall versus Pavlovich. I, heck, the, the Joutin Almeida fight the weekend before, I think is, is almost equally as intriguing just to kind of figure out how good that guy is and what he looks like now against the late replacement of Derek Lewis. But, um, not a late replacement these days, huh? That's the whole point. Okay. So it's like, look, injury. I'm not blaming these injuries on UFC. I'm not blaming this injury on John Jones. I mean, shit happens. Okay. But when you're within a calendar year, which is already riddled with negativity, right? Fighter pay, power slap, slap Mrs. White, like on and on, you know, WWE TKO crossover. And now, oh, let's go private again. And But I don't know if we should sell it because this stock's tanking. Is that Vince's fault? God, I don't know. It's been a stupid year for MMA if you're a purist. The, the matchmaking has been unexplainably weak. And no one's questioning him about it at all, except for me in front of this microphone on this show. And I probably alienate myself to all of your audience. But, like, there's no answer for this overall lack of shit matchmaking this year when you're making that much money. So then when you get an injury curse on top of that, not your fault, but kind of still your fault. You got to prepare for a rainy day. Yes, they pulled out the big guns to save 294. 295, they're sort of like, yeah, we'll just let it kind of lay as is, and then, you know, we'll see what happens the rest of the way. This year has sucked, and I feel like the only one that ever even wants to put breath to that. All right? I, I do respect that they actually ostensibly were prepared for a rainy day by having a backup fighter, and for the second week in a row, they're just like, nah. Nah, not that good. guy. Not that we're, guy. Yeah. We're okay. <laughs> this, was, this was a ceremonial role, not an actual one. Well, at least the backup fighter is actually fighting. This time yeah. around, against a whole weekend. different person, which is great. 
It's, I mean, imagine if bad. you paid nine hundred dollars now for 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 Tom Asball. You know what I'm saying? I'd be I mean, I, what are you gonna do? What do you? I mean, I guess you can get a refund, but I mean, the whole point is sort of like, what are you gonna Look, do? People build. If you pay nine hundred dollars to watch Jones versus Stipe, I'm sorry, homie, you own this. Like that was a bad decision. Why? Yeah, but do, you're paying for history. More with you're your paying. Money. You're paying for John walking away on top, right? You're pay- I mean, yeah. this puts John's know. future BC, in question. Let me put this in terms you can understand. How much yeah. did we give a shit about watching late career Muhammad Ali fight Larry Holmes? Was that like an event you wanted to go to? I feel like you wouldn't have wanted to do that God. at the time because we all knew You're, what it was. Are we really putting Stipe, historically concrete <laughs> chin Stipe, who took a beating from Francis Ngannou before he, you know, he, by the way, he took a beating in the first round of the first fight too. We're really going to lump him into why won't anyone get out force Ali out of the ring as the obvious CTE takeover is like upon us visually. No, that's not an, I've been trying to force Stipe out of the cage for years. The adequate comparison is Anthony Joshua versus Vladimir Klitschko 2017 uh, coming back from two year retirement, but you know what? He got re re regenerized, rejuvenated when in their fall with balls, by the way, that at least that makes sense though. Cause Joshua was trying to get over on him. This is John who's already said, who cares? Yeah, but this is John also trying to validate himself at heavyweight, and I know that your knee-jerk reaction will be, Stipe's 41, but come on. Heavyweights age late. It's Stipe not my knee-jerk. That's best. just the reaction. Yeah, Stipe, look, this is... This is Stipe uh, Miocic does not have a win over a currently employed UFC heavyweight. That's just a fact. That's <laughs> not got, even bullshit. He has not been the anyone the UFC currently employs. He's got the numbers. Casual fans know who he is at least. So I like you're both right. You're both right here. So it's it's tough to gauge because like BC's a hundred percent right. The card from like a casual standpoint does not pass this the is public going to sell fewer pay-per-views. Oh, 100%. Oh, yeah. They I didn't... just think this card is much more entertaining now. Oh, yeah. Like, this is the hard, this is a hardcore co-main event. This is a great fight. This is the fight we should have got on this card in a three-rounder to begin with. This should have been like the backup fight, like already put on the card. And then just well, elevate like, You know where I'm wrong? You know where I'm wrong, Mike? The the hardcore oh, fan isn't oh. going to actually be pissed because the hardcore fan is stealing and streaming all these anyway and betting on them and having fun with their friends. So the hardcore fan is just fine. So you might go, BC, why did you decide to be the old guy on the porch that's screaming at the sky <laughs> and warning everyone? Because, guys, it's happening. They're driving out the hardcore fan, right? This isn't like this is like when they say they're killing the middle class. They're driving all, out the hardcore middle class fan who keeps this thing afloat. By just constantly shitting on them in worse ways than what? Oh, than the way boxing shits on the hardcore fan that keeps the sport alive by buying every pay-per-view. It's happening right in front of our eyes. Wake up. See, that's where you're wrong, BC, because all they're doing is they're driving that hardcore fan to MMAfighting.com. It's a great website. We're going to have all your UFC 295 coverage. If you don't want to pay 80 bucks to watch this, don't do it. We'll have live vlogs. We'll have recaps. We'll have highlights. Everything you need, one-stop shopping. You may find .com, great website. All right, let's move on to uh, speaking of boxing and pay-per-views and just crazy price tags. The point. How expensive is this thing? 80 bucks, same as UFC pay-per-view. The point for round three goes to. Brian Campbell, it's two to one. It was a very close matchup. Da-da-da-da-da, fireworks. Uh, it was a very close matchup, and then Jed made a cardinal mistake. He ran off all the great things you could do during UFC 295, but the most important thing, the watch party, he did not mention. Oh, you yeah. see, point. 
Oh, Dude. sure. I mean, listening to BC, this event is poop and not even worth a watch party. So I wasn't sure we were going to have one. That's my, just my not mistake. true. We did a watch party for Vancouver. We did them for all. We did a watch party for 282 last year with Anka yeah, Lyon versus Jan Blahovich. I thought we might all be sad about the sanctity of Madison Square Garden and not want to <laughs> lower it any further into the muck. You know, look, I look, I, I get where you're both coming from. For anything, okay? Do well, I the only I'm the last remaining person in MMA who has respect for anything? <laughs> okay, because you know what I mean. The the people that run this game don't have respect for it. They're pushing power slap down your throat. Come on. Wrestle, we wouldn't even remember WrestleMania at the Sky Dome if Hogan Rock didn't get after it. You know what I mean? Like, and that match wasn't even that good. It wasn't even that Hogan good, Rock, but the Hogan crowd Rock was incredible and they were into it. Hogan so, Rock was the pro wrestling equivalent of Jones Miacic. So don't, don't do it to yourself. All right. Hey. <laughs> hey, this is Scott Galloway, author, professor, entrepreneur, and most importantly, host of the Prop G podcast. We got a special series running on right now called The Future of Work, where I answer all your questions on surprise. The future of work. Questions including, what are we missing when we work remotely? Or how do we handle work-life balance when a major opportunity comes knocking? From the provocative to the technical, we're offering insights you won't want to miss. So tune in to The Future of Work, a PropGPod special sponsored by Canva. You can find it on the PropGPod wherever you get your podcasts. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Speaking of weird combat sports bouts, we got Francis Ngannou versus Tyson Fury on Saturday. The presser's going on right now. Jed, we'll begin with you because you are a fan of crazy fights. You were someone who wasn't into it at all. This whole boxing versus MMA thing. Went to a Triller event, watched Jake Paul, Ben Askren, turned the tides a little bit, and then, you know, it's kind of bottoming out a little bit. I think Misfits Prime kind of killed this for a lot of people after Dylan Dan is Logan Paul, but that's besides the point. Francis, Mr. Fumble the Bag, gets a big bag of money, and he's going to fight Tyson Fury. So where are you at? Where are your interest levels here? Do you care if you, if you weren't working this card? I'm would not, you actually. Pay- are you going to watch? Are you going to pay 80 bucks to watch it? Uh, maybe. I mean, let's, let's be honest. I'm going to, for one very simple reason, Mike, and it's a reason I've told you before, we don't have to bury the lead here. I'm going to pay 80 bucks because I want to be a part of history. I want to watch Francis Ngannou silence all of the haters, which is what's going to happen Saturday. Now, BC is probably just in a lather already hearing me say this. And I'll, I'll preemptively agree with him. This is not a rational pick. I don't think this is going to happen because he is a better boxer or any of those reasons. I think it's going to happen. One, the primary reason, it's for the bit, right? I don't have a lot of regrets in my life, Mike. I, I've made a ton of mistakes, but, you know, I mostly am just like, well, I was an idiot and I'm at peace with it. One of my biggest regrets is not picking Sean Strickland to beat Israel Disney because I spent a month on our programming being like, I'm going to talk myself into it. This has been a really weird year. Weird shit's been happening. I'm going to talk myself into it. And then I was a coward 
I will not make that mistake again. I have spent the last month talking myself into it. And the thing that pushed me over the top, the thing that cemented it, there is a cardinal rule in combat sports. The rule above all others beyond get the bag. Get the bag is obviously rule number one. It's the only rule that really matters. But rule number two, immediately behind that, you do not book a fight when you already have a fight on the books. You simply can't do it. There is no counting chickens. It is, it's the worst, like on the list of things that you don't do in life, Mike, number one is you don't talk to a pitcher or talk about a no hitter when it's going on. Everyone knows that. Number two is you don't book a fight when you've already got one. And number three is you don't sleep with your best friend's mom. That's the order of magnitude that Tyson Fury has, has beefed right here. He has screwed himself immeasurably by spitting in the face of the combat gods. And he's going to get his comeuppance because wouldn't it be the most MMA, the most 2023, the stupidest, funniest thing ever for us to finally get Tyson Fury versus Usyk? After Fury, uh, you know, piddled around this year and did unnecessary rematches, etc. Finally, that's going to happen. And then Francis Ngannou just throws a spanner into the whole works. It's happening. I'll pay 80 bucks to see it happen because I want to be part of history. I want to be there for that moment. BC, your thoughts yeah. on what you just have to say. Uh, well, <laughs> I mean, I can't crap on anything Jed said because he basically read the, you know, the working manuscript of any hardcore boxing fan right now as sort of the number one reason from that camp of which I am a, you know, card carrying member of why this sucks. But I, I look, love them or hate them. And more often than not, we hate them when you get this type of crossover bubble gas station type fight. And obviously Mayweather McGregor over my shoulders, the greatest example in terms of attention, money, and really the suspension of belief of disbelief in modern crossover history that the other person can be competitive. And that's why I'm going to pay for it. Cause I just have to see what happens. Unfortunately in this fight, and it's not Francis's fault. And I love the story of him not fumbling the bag. And now he's showing up with the prop, the bag at the press conference. I saw that on Twitter a minute ago and it was hilarious, but the promoters, the powers that be have taken and removed, in my opinion, all the aspects that would make you have to care about this fight and have to, in some cases, even buy it and tune in if you're of some level of, of combat sports fandom. And it's basically centered upon this. There has to be stakes. There has to be a potential penalty in a fight, you know, a something that you're risking for you to actually care. Separate from exactly what Jed said, which is true, that this is just idiotic, stupid, and greedy from Fury to schedule a fight this close when the fight of this era, one of the most important fights in like modern boxing history, is already on the books for later and you could ruin it in many ways. Even separate from that, the powers that be have made this weekend's fight worthless, even if Nganu did pull some kind of miraculous upset through knockout or cut or whatever, was because what does he win? nothing. I don't know if anyone's been following the Twitter account of Dan Raphael, big time boxing scribe, but he's been pushing the promotion all week to get an answer on, is this a fight or not? It's not listed on boxrec.com. It doesn't seem to be. And your reaction can go, who cares? Like it is what it is, right? It's just, it's a money grab between two big punchers. Yes. But here's how this fight could have been different. If you're not going to put Fury's title on the line, which they aren't, 
then I think the only way this becomes must-see is some type of hybrid four-ounce gloves and an MMA cage type idea. Because why? Because you're leveling, in theory, some level of the playing ground. Even Mayweather McGregor had a leveling of the playing ground. How? Because Mayweather was 40 and two years retired. And McGregor was bigger, younger, at the peak of his marketing and physical prime. And on the type of run that it became easy to sell to people, he might be able to do this against old Floyd, as ridiculous as that sounds, right? Well, for Ngannou, yeah, you got the one punch, you know, opportunity, but there's no tangible thing at stake. Okay, what about Mayweather McGregor? No title at stake, no. But Floyd built his entire career on the marketing strategy of 50-0, and 0, of TBE, of the best ever to break Rocky Marciano's mythic record. That's not really a record. It's just more of a milestone. He actually put that on the line against Connor. If things went tragically wrong, it'd been 49 and one with an asterisk for the rest of his life. Like that kind of mattered along with the holy shit, what does this look like? Or the, you know what? I think Connor might be able to do it if he lands the perfect punch. What do we have here with Nganu? If the title was on the line, as ridiculous as that is, I get it. Even for a boxing purist, when Francis has no pro boxing experience at all, at least it would have properly shook up the foundation of what real combat sports actually is if he had knocked Fury out. I mean, what would happen next? Would he fight Usyk for all the belts? I don't know. Do you know what happens now if he does it? Nothing good. Yeah, he gets the bag and he'll get another bag. And anybody that still thinks there's an MMA versus boxing fight that can remember Joe Rogan and Lou DiBella debating on SportsCenter back in 2008 or whatever. No, that debate's over with. So what do you win there? You win nothing. And Ganu would have to do it a second time in a real fight if he did win. And also you'd completely fuck up Fury versus Usyk, which was Jed's point and the reason as a pure boxing fan why you're here. But even deeper than that, guys, when you don't declare whether it's an exhibition or not, you give potentially Tyson Fury an excuse no matter what happens in this fight. Let's say it horribly does not go his way and he's knocked down multiple times. You give him an avenue to like quit where it doesn't matter. Right. So basically you removed all elements of what actually matters here short of hey, this guy's a big puncher and he's got a puncher's chance. Yeah, big freaking deal. I wanted, even under the auspices of this being a gas station hot dog, which is exactly what it is, but I wanted to buy in on the, the, the idea. Same thing I did for Logan Paul and Dylan Dennis. And obviously in hindsight, I was proven wrong for having bought in on that trailer park soap opera storyline they had. But at the very least in this one, man, I would have tuned in to say, you know what? I don't agree with this, but what if Nganu does this? Fury has to eat his words and blah, blah, blah. Now, if he does it, what do we get? A second fight, which we never wanted in the first place. This sucks, guys. I hate it. I don't want to be involved with it. And oh, by the way, I'm doing a live companion thing on Morning Combat that's probably competing with yours. So I guess we all cash in in the end. But you know what I mean? Does you know? But like Jewel said, right? I hate it. I don't want to be a part of this. I will absolutely take the money money to be made from it. Who will save your soul? You know what I'm saying? We all got a price. Exactly. We all got a price. Yeah. Yep. Well, there you have it. If you haven't, if you're not sold on it yet, that just did it for you. 80 bucks, 80 bucks. And you can listen to BC's commentary. Yes. Uh, The point's going to this episode's Prince of Positivity, Jed Mishu. We're not going to do the pomp and circumstance because I have to pick up my kid in a little bit. So uh, it's time for the knockout round. And Okay, I'm doing multiple things at the same time. Uh, each each of these gentlemen will have one question. Each will have 60 seconds, BC. I'm talking to you, brother, to answer this question. Uh, and then we're not even going to have a poll. We're just going to let the commenters kind of come in and, and get after it and do the damn thing. So, Jed, 
You were victorious last week. What do you want to do? Uh, I'll go first. Screw it. Why not? Okay. So I think we've asked this question one time, a portion of this question, and it was you actually delivered one of the greatest answers in the history of this program. So we're going to go back to the well, Jed Mishu. We're going to go back to the well. You are the king of hot takes, and you have such a spicy hot take about this coming Saturday in Saudi Arabia. We have Tyson Fury versus Francis Ngannou. It's going down. These guys are going to have a fist fight, and you are picking Francis Ngannou to win. So what I would like you to do in 60 seconds as I tabulate here on my cell phone with the timer, I want you to paint a picture of what would be the best way this fight ends. What would be the best way this fight starts to build to a conclusion and then actually ends so that everybody feels like they got their, their money's worth for their $80 that they may or may not spend for this card. One minute on the clock, go. This is really easy. We have the pomp and circumstance. We know that's coming. It's going to be a big event. It's going to feel that way. And this fight is going to start out in the same way everybody expects. Tyson Fury is going to be beating that ass. Like He's just a much superior boxer. Francis Ngannou is a lot better than he is showing uh, on the mitts lately. A lot of videos of him looking like he has literally never punched a thing in his life. I'm here to tell you guys, the, the man has punched stuff. I've seen it happen. He can do it quite well. He's playing a little bit of possum with that. I don't think that's going to be the case in the ring. He is going to be wearing it from Tyson Fury. As the rounds go on, I think this is an eight-rounder. Maybe we get into round six or seven. Tyson Fury really starts to put on a show, try to give the crowd their money's worth. You know, he's dancing. He's he's shaking his tongue at him. He's doing all Ten that. Ten seconds. And then, bam! Out of nowhere, the missile lands. Tyson Fury goes down. He's dropped. He gets up. He does not beat the bell. It's over. Out all right, of you're done. Nowhere. Yes, it is over. That was very passionate. I appreciate that. Uh, BC, we're holding a tight clock here. Uh, one minute. You're the boxing guy. What's the best thing that can happen here? Like as a as a viewer yourself, you're hosting the companion. Final minute. How does this all work out? What's the best thing that could happen here on Saturday between Tyson Fury and Francis Ngannou? One minute starts right now. Well, first and foremost, the best thing that can come out of this, unfortunately, is that Fury just doesn't get hurt at all, right? And doesn't get knocked out so that you would put the next fight in jeopardy. But separate from that, what would make this fun and redeemable and have some spinoff qualities for everyone is if Fury wins, yes, and he will win. But can Ngannou knock him down? Knock him down. Have one moment. You know what I mean? Not land one big punch that shows you. That's why I bought this pay-per-view. That's why I bought this ticket. That's why I, I needed to see that. The problem of picking an upset here is that didn't Fury go like nearly 35 rounds with Deontay Wilder, like arguably the biggest puncher in the history of the sport and got knocked down four times and just kept getting up each time. But does he hit with the like power the Undertaker? Score. Uh, look, Ngannou's going to gas himself out. We kind of know this. I Ten think seconds. Fury's going to be careful and fool around early but eventually fury's going to go for the finish will he get caught with one shot that hurts him or drops him that's the best case scenario we still get fury Usyk, and maybe francis gets another all right. down the line all right very good very good we kept on track all right you, BC? <clears throat> yes you vote getting it in 60 seconds all right get your I votes mean, the in guy now was bullying me in my ear to be fair though okay or, yes you know. that's true um all right bc or jed that's your comment one comment I'm going to waste time here and uh, just talk about what we're going to be up to. We'll have a heck of a morning tomorrow. Preview show, 1 p.m. Eastern. 
for this fight. It should be awesome. Jed might even do it from the pool. Will he? Will he not? You're going to have to tune in 1 p.m. Eastern and find out. Uh, And then we'll have all your coverage on Saturday. We will do a people's pre-fight show right beforehand around 1.30. We'll have a post-fight show. I believe we'll have... We may have the may or may not have the press conference after the fact. I don't friggin' know. Just like I don't friggin' know what's gonna happen. Uh, one of the quotes that was said during the press conference: uh, Not only do you get Tyson Fury versus Francis Ngannou, but according to whoever's hosting the press conference, there are a number of quote mouth watering fights on the undercard. So you're getting your oh, bang yeah. for your buck for eighty bucks. I don't know who any of the fights are. What are there, five fights total? Um, yeah, former champion uh, Joseph Parker's back. Uh, there's a couple of British prospects, but it's, it's not what it's offering. No, it's not. It's nothing. It's not. Yeah, this should be two fights. This should the be British fights, heavyweight title is on the line in the co-main event. Oh, all right. Well, you get a title fight for your 80 bucks. So there you go. That's what's going to be going on this weekend. And then the UFC is back next weekend. Jailton Almeida versus Derek Lewis. AK and I are actually going to be recording a Ask Us Anything edition of On to the Next One. So you have till, I think, tomorrow at 8 a.m. to submit your questions, however you submit your matchmaking suggestions. So let's scroll through here. This is pretty freaking close. I, I definitely angered the hardcores with my, you know, things aren't as good as you think they are and the sky is falling take. But, you know, guys, I've seen the financials. I'm right. All right. All right. All right. I I'm gonna scroll through one more time. We have 15 seconds. To win, so I'm not sure I made fans there. <laughs> this is super close. This is super close. I mean, Jet's a uh, worthy adversary, right? He, he is. Kinda, this is this is incredible. He just looks I'm like the Mike Pyle of MMA journalism. All right, five seconds. That's Let's see what we got here. Compliment I've ever gotten in my entire life. Mike Pyle, what a freaking legend. The hockey Look hair on that dude. Oh. All right. I think we have a winner. I'm going to check it out. Oh, there was a tie. But the tie has been broken, I believe. Ooh. Okay. Close. Your winner. And BTL champion. He's done it, folks. He has done it. Whoa, Jet- whoa. Without the pull. Yes. Oh my god! Ladies and gentlemen, we've done it! Who knew? Who knew this could be done? History has been made here in the BTL Arena! Holy cow! I am the Israel Adesanya of this competition. If you give me seven tries, I'll finally win one. How are you feeling right now, Jed? Was it it Florida? Was it the backyard vibes? What, What did it this week? I, you know, I think just the sun, just doing it outside, getting powered up by, by mother nature and vitamin D, just all it needed. The, the high of Isla Makachev finally putting order back in the world. It's, it's all just great. I'm, I'm so excited. I'm so happy to be here. Thank you guys for, for your support. Uh, I guess tomorrow we have to do the show in the pool. I'm not sure how I'll make that work and I might get fired, but why not? You know, let's celebrate. Do the, the cannonball now. Do the cannonball now. All right, let me see. I go to BC and I'll see if I can open this door, and then we'll do it. All right, BC, how are we feeling here? You know, I guess I, I deserve this. I did beat Jed once by fan approval when I didn't when I didn't earn it, right? I didn't earn it <laughs> that time. Okay, question. you know. So uh, 
Yeah, there we go. And I'll hopefully 60 seconds or less next week. All right, that's great. Yeah. You did good. We may have an immediate rematch. Jed, uh, what are we doing here? Mike Heck, I'm turning the camera and we're we're celebrating in style and then we can exit. Bye, All right. Everybody. All right, everybody. We're going to turn the camera uh, back next week. But Jed Bashu is about to do a cannonball. Oh, is he going to do it? Happen. He's going to do it. He's going to do it. The cage door is opening. He doesn't have the... Oh, he does! Whoa! He did the cannonball! He wow. did the cannonball! Incredible! Wow! You look like Parker Porter with his shirt off. Wow! Yeah! <laughs> Great! Oh, man. I don't know how we're going to top this week's program next week, but we're sure going to try, everybody. For the winner, Jed Mishu <laughs> from BC. <laughs> I am Mike Hank. Back next week, normal show. We'll see you, everybody. Thank you so much. The NBA playoffs are heating up, and so is the action at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. DraftKings brings you same-game parlays, live betting, odds boosts, and so much more. You can download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code VOXMMA. That's code VOXMMA for new customers to get 150 in bonus bets when you bet just 5 bucks. Only on DraftKings. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Or in West Virginia, visit 1-800-GAMBLER.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY-467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas, 21 and over. Age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.co slash bball for eligible and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources.